Welcome to the Mindful Mutiny Podcast. I'm Jeremy Van Wert, CEO, therapist, and transformational coach, helping you get unstuck from burnout and stagnation. On the Mindful Mutiny Podcast, we thoughtfully rebel against anything that keeps you from achieving your highest potential. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and comment on this video or podcast wherever you're listening. It really helps building a podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with you, and we we go way back. Today on Mindful Mutiny, you're going to learn about the life of a professional musician and writer, and why you should write that book that you've always been wanting to write, and how to apply the experiences of your life to a creative pursuit. To everybody, I would like to welcome my guest, Jack Davenport. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's so great to see your face after all these years. We do go way back indeed. Well, we do. And and uh, just for everybody to know, USA Today best-selling author Jack Davenport is a true romantic at heart, but he has a rebel soul. His writing is passionate, energetic, and often fueled by his real-life fiery romance with his wife, Piper Davenport. 25 years as a professional musician leads to a unique perspective into the world of rock stars, while his outlaw upbringing gives an authenticity to his motorcycle club series. There is just so much there. So <laughs> just for this is how Jack and I got reacquainted after about 25 years. I publish a video that is a book review of Getty Lee's book. My F in Life. His and, excellent book. Oh, and your yes, excellent indeed. review of an excellent book. Yes. And Jack is going through YouTube and he comes across this thing and goes, wait, this is my old friend Spike. And so he sends me an email and says, hey, by the way, I write <laughs> romance novels and I named the main character Spike after you. <laughs> and so. There's the proof right no, there. I, I I I love it, and he's chiseled, and he he looks my just like is my, me. Is my video backwards? I don't know how to fix that. No, if I were to just unbutton my shirt, I would look just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, no. It's it the, the character really. I mean, I I when I was first, and well, I'm sure we'll go loop all the way back. But when I was first starting to write the first book in that series, my Burning Saint series, these guys here. They're a motorcycle club uh, based out of Portland, which is outside of where I live in Vancouver, Washington. You know, we we say Portland, Oregon, because people know where that is. You say Vancouver, they think British Columbia. You say Washington, they think D.C. So it just it's less confusing. But uh, I needed I needed character names. I needed I needed guys in the club. I needed names and Spike and Tacky which were two guys that I knew way back when in the San Jose Guitar Center drum shop, you two characters popped into my mind. And as I developed the Spike character just a little bit more, I knew he was going to be the perfect character to, to focus on in book six, which ended up being, sorry, I keep kicking my stand here, which ended up being uh, one of the most personal books in the series. And so I needed to approach this character with a certain sensitivity because Spike was a stand-in for me for a lot of this book. So I was like, hey, I can trust Jeremy's soul. I can trust if, if, if I intermingle him and me in this character, that's I can get into that headspace. 
I didn't call. I didn't ask permission. I just, it's where the writing led me, quite honestly. It was just as simple as that. And so when you popped up right at the time when I was doing promotional work for this book, it was like, okay, universe, loud and clear. I only need to see him in my YouTube feed once. I get it. I'm, I'm contacting him right now. And uh, I was just hoping you remembered me. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about your writing and this series and everything like that. How many sure. books? What, what, what are they about? Well, it's, uh, it starts, I'll give you the, the re, I'll say Reader's Digest version, and that'll date me a little bit. But uh, I'll give you the condensed version, because it really starts with one Piper Davenport, who uh, this year is our 30th uh, wedding anniversary which is just crazy. We were just wow. little baby children when we got married. It was great. Uh, it's been fun to grow up with somebody, you know, and kind of go through all these crazy adventures. And when she met me, I was a drummer, a uh, long-haired drummer in a rock band. And she had recently moved from New Zealand at age 18 all by herself to America in hopes of meeting a long-haired drummer. Uh, it, it's it's the craziest thing. She had a, a an idea in her head of what she wanted. And then she met me and she said, not that guy. And the universe kept saying, yes, that guy. And that was it. We were engaged seven months later, married a year later. And then, yeah, it's been 30 years. And so she supported me while I was out crazy, you know, uh, living my crazy rock star dreams and all the being in all the bands, drumming in this band, singing in that band, playing guitar in that band. I, I played drums in a rock and espanol band for two and a half years, and I don't speak Spanish, but I know how to count to cuatro. So it's, you know, but I've played really tiny stages. I've played very large stages. I was involved in music in church growing up and, and through a good chunk of my adulthood. Um, again, everywhere from sm the smallest churches in the ghettos of Hayward, California, to the most affluent churches of Marmarmarshistan. And, you know, it's, you find every stage has a different story, every stage you step on. And all that musical experience and writing songs and recording songs, Piper was right up my side the whole time. She never, she loved it. She wanted to marry a musician. She loved the craziness. Oh, you want to turn that room into a recording studio? Have at it. Why don't you have two rooms? Why don't we get a bigger house so you can crap, cram more of your crap in there and invite more people to the party? Never, hey, can you get these weirdos out of my house? Or do you have to mix that song again? Never, never once, ever. And she always saw me play live thousands of gigs at this point and i think twice she was too sick to attend so she she was right by my side i was a working stiff by day rock star every chance i got anywhere just get me to the music i want to be inside the music i want to do it I'm, I'm i love every aspect of it from creating flyers for our bands and album covers to producing to whatever i, I love it all i'm a junkie for music and she supported me all through that. One day she decides, I'm going to take people's advice and write a book. A couple people, including a professional author, a friend of ours, keep saying, you should write a book. And they said, write what you know. So she's obsessed with the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln. And her favorite book of all time was a time travel book, um, Romance. She's a 
voracious romance reader, or was until she started writing. And she said, well, that's it. They're going to time travel back to the Civil War and try to stop the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And she just started writing. And by book number three, she was confident to publish the first one. She did that. It did pretty well. She kept writing. We just kept doing it. I designed the covers because I have that graphic arts background of the hustle of rock and roll. We kind of said, well, no publishers are biting, so we'll self-publish. We knew that from rock and roll. DIY, you fund the album, you get in the van, you drive, you get into a fight, you get out, you haul your own gear. 25 years of that, we, we this is easy. And we just started doing it, not asking permission, just doing it. And that series caught on and did pretty well. And I said, I think you found your job. She was in the corporate world. I was in the corporate world. She was dissatisfied. Second time in a row, she had been laid off. So she had a little more time to write. She got an idea for the second series, the Caldane series, Piper Davenport. That second book is what got her to New York Times. And everything changed. Everything changed after the, the, for that first book and that Caldane series. So our life changed because now she's a professional author. I'm a working guy with a recording studio in the house. And we navigated those waters for several years. And it was great. It was great. And then I became utterly dissatisfied with my job uh, of 10 years of a 25 year career in tech. And she said, this is killing you. You got to quit. Um, and I said, okay. And I marched in, tried to quit. And they said, nope, let's make things better for you in this corporate environment. I said, fine. We tried that for six months. And then it was, no, this is not working. So that was that. And she said, you're going to write with me. And I said, why? And she said, you're going to write with me. And I said, okay. Cause she started at that point, writing Motorcycle Club, MC Romance. Uh, think Sons of Anarchy, but with romance, the elements of romance all the way to the sex. She started writing that and the sexier stuff started taking off. Well, the sexier stuff was a little different than what she was writing before, which was cleaner. So she needed a, a nom de plume, she needed a pen name. So I, I dubbed her Piper Davenport, she started writing as that. So when I started writing, about seven years ago, I became Jack Davenport, whereas my life as a musician was my birth name, Jackson Jackson. And that's my real name. So my real name is weirder than my fake name, but I just associate that person with music. And Jack is who I am as a writer. And that takes up the majority of my time now. I still get to do music. We're in my recording studio right now. It's crammed full of things to make noise with. And I get paid to do that. But it's, it's just you know, it's just the icing on the cake of my life um, as a full-time writer with my wife. And we write separately, we write together, we just write, write, write. And the whole Davenport universe, all our series are all connected in some way. And it's become this vibrant second life that we did not expect in any way, shape, or form. Did not pursue it, did not ever dream of it. When I was very young, like in elementary school, K through six, every time they asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? It, it would say comedian, author, teacher, and then about seventh grade musician slipped in there. And then once musician really took root, by 14, that was it. I it just couldn't, I couldn't get enough. And everything in my life went to the wayside, writing, drawing. I mean, I kept up with all that stuff a little bit, but it just really became about music and songwriting and, and all of that. But if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. 
If you can write a song, you can write a book. It's all about writing hooks. It's all about what are you, what emotional thing am I trying to convey here, right? I mean, that that's that was my goal as a songwriter, and it still is. But I figured if I can do that, I can do this. And apparently I can do this. Yeah. So uh, what was the question? So, <laughs> no, I got to come up was, for air. Sorry. Yeah. So you, the, this, the series, can you explain just the mm -hmm. main concept of it? You said that it was motorcycle club and relationships and so mm -hmm. forth. What would what would one expect out of this? I just had a, a, a reader say, your stuff is like Grey's Anatomy if it was in a motorcycle club. And it took my brain a half a second to process if that was an insult or a compliment. No, 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 no insult meant to Shonda Rhimes and her beloved empire. We'd all be so lucky. Um, but she meant it very, very positively. And I and and I and I I took it. So I I, I received it. And I think what she meant is there's emotional complexity with every character. I'm I'm not just writing He-Man biker man, grab school teacher by hair and convert her to a life of it's that's out there and 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 god bless you if that's what you want to do but for me um when piper started writing mc that was the thing that got me interested because i she'd read me something and i'd go a dirtbag would never say that and a biker would never say that that guy needs to be a drug dealer. That's why he's in there. And she'd go, ah, uh, ah, uh, okay. You know, and that's what gave her the, the, the confidence to invite me along. And the reason I know all that stuff is like you said, my, my outlaw upbringing, I was raised around bikers and drug dealers and musicians and scumbags. And some of them are the salt of the earth. And I've also been around churches and religious institutions most of my life and and some of those people are the most evil people you you ever want to never want to cross paths with so I, I learned at a very young age people have sides and nobody on this planet is just one thing we all play roles at different times my role as jack davenport is different than my role as jackson jackson uh, that's a very clear cut sort of thing but as a kid, I loved superheroes. That I that I idea that you're Clark Kent, and you go into a phone book and phone booth and you come out Superman, or you put this ring on, Mister Smiley, and somehow I feel like Jack Davenport. I I can't explain it. I'm not a woo woo kind of guy, although I've spent most of my life pursuing woo woo. I'm I'm not. But there is power in totems. It's the power you put in them, but. There is a different life as, as Jack Davenport, and it really started in that 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 biker world. So when Piper said, "You're going to write," she said, "Write what you know. Do what I did. Write what you know." Well, I know mostly about being a rock drummer. So I said, "Okay, I'm going to write about a rock drummer." She said, "Fine, do whatever you want to do." She said, uh, "Rock star romance doesn't sell quite as as well." But and I said, "Great, I'll be I'll come in way soft. Uh, I'm I'm I'm." Riding your coattails no matter what I do. And I'm okay with that. Because after all those years of her supporting me, I finally had a way to support her. And I was never happier in my entire life. And, and, and that'll be a thread in this, in that my failure as a musician, I didn't reach the heights that I, I wanted to reach 
earlier in my life. I had goals. I wanted to be a nationally touring musician. That didn't happen for me. I wanted to be a known entity that was respected by his peers. Less than a rock star, I really wanted to be a professional musician and and be a part of everything that that entails. And I didn't get to, to reach some of those levels, but my goals changed along the way as well, because I also had a a number one goal of being a, a husband and a father and a friend and a productive member of society. And those things aren't always congruent with a music career. They're usually not, not at the high touring level. That's why the divorce rate is a little higher. Uh, I say a little bit higher because check out dentists and teachers. They get divorced too. You just don't hear about them. Um, but it, it's hard. It's a hard life. And I didn't want to be away from my family as much. Um, but this thing called the internet came around and all of a sudden you didn't have to. And so that started sort of a second wave of a career for me. So it took a lot to pull me out of that, but it was a failure in regards of I've set a goal. I have not reached it. That's a failure in the binary sense. Now, everything I learned along the way, I'm applying all of it now to the book world, all of it. Traveling, we're on tour a lot, going to book signings to, to, to meet readers and 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 talk to them and share stories with them. Um, so we feel like we're on tour. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, producing, having to get product, you know, does this, this test printing doesn't look good. It's not the right blue, all that stuff, writing code from, from her background. She can do all that stuff. Everything that we learned in our young life as, as chasing the, the musician dream led to everything that we have now, just in a different medium. And it took me a second to realize that. And when I did, I, I went, oh, you've, you've accomplished every goal you wanted to accomplish just with a different brush. And I'm so okay with it now because I'm in love with writing. I suffer from ADD. I suffer from mild dyslexia. And getting me to sit down and do homework is really hard and really triggering of my childhood. But once you get lost into the thing, it's just like getting lost in a drum groove or writing a song and you didn't write it, it, you just pulled it down from whatever Bob Dylan didn't pull down yet. Oh, get it quickly. You know, it's the same. It's writing that that perfect tube. I, I can't surf, but I imagine it's that. Anytime you're threading the needle artistically and you're like, oh my God, I'm getting all this. No, that's, that's what I need. I need that. It doesn't have to be on stage. It's often while recording with other people in here, but writing, writing's a different thing. It's more personal. You can say exactly what's on your mind. Songs, you have to hide the medicine and the dog treat a little bit, you know, come here, Sparky, you know, not with books. This is how I feel, but I'm saying it through a, an avatar, through a character, but it's how I feel, you know? Some of the things that my bikers get to do I don't get to do. If you cut me off in traffic, I don't get to drive up next to you and kick your side mirror off or knife your car with this steel tip blade in my boot and open it like a can opener. I don't get to do that. My guys get to do that. If there's injustice out in the world, I can do very little about it, but they can break into a locker, 
stuffed with trafficked girls and beat the ever loving crap out of the people that victimize these people. You know, I can, whatever's on my mind, whatever injustice is going on in the world, I can find a way to fit it into the work. And, and MC romance is such a beautifully open palette because you're talking about fringe people in society. And whenever you're dealing with fringe people, that means other fringe people are, are soon to come around. And that's, that's who's interesting. You don't write about, hi, I'm Linda. I work in HR. And I went to my job today and I came home today. That, that it, that's most of us, right? But I'm writing it for Linda in HR coming home from her, her work. I want to put her in a, in a world that she can fantasize about and lose herself into, right? That I once heard, what is reading? It's staring at a dead tree and hallucinating. It's kind of it's kind of true. You know, you're putting yourself, the reader's putting themselves into a book. That's why everybody hates the film adaptations of a book. That's not what I saw in your head. And nothing's ever going to be what you see in your head. Ever, ever, ever. You know, and that's that's what you're looking for. That kind of, that's what I'm looking for, I should say. That kind of connection with your reader to where they would punch somebody in the face if they turn it into a bad movie. You know, that's that's the connection I'm looking for. So there's humor, there's violence, there's action, there's tons of romance, you know, because in these stories, my life is a romance story with my my wife. It's, there are so many crazy things. I can just talk about our 30 year marriage and it, that in and of itself is a book. So a lot of our stories, including most importantly, this story, Spike, your namesake, this is book six in the, the Burning Saints series. It can be read as a standalone. They all can. The first one is free anywhere where you download books. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in plug mode. So the first one, if, if this sounds interesting, if that world of, of lovable MC guys sounds interesting to you, you can download the first book, which is called Minus, um, anywhere where you download ebooks. Okay. Um, but Spike very quickly into the book, I realized it was going to be a fictionalized version of when I met Piper and how we fell in love and all that stuff. The, the, the wrapping around the chocolate bar is very different, but the chocolate bar is in there of our true story. And so all the way down to the nickname that I use for her, which is Trixie, the, the studio that I'm coming to you from is Trixie Studios. It always has been because Trixie has let me tear up a part of every house we've ever lived in and have a studio in it. So may as well name it after her. Um, our publishing company, Trixie Publishing. But I, I said, I, I have to call her Trixie and, and this has to be our story. Are you okay with that? And she, she actually had to give it a few days, which I understood. And she said, no, if that's where it's leading you and, and that's the character's name, and she's me, and, and Spike is you, but they're not. I, she's like, that's what you got to do. And so it's, you work it all out. If we have a fight, it goes in a book. If we laugh, it goes in a book. If we if we have an absurd, you know, run-in with an absurd person, it goes in a book. If you're somebody who's wronged us in the past, legally, you're not in any of these books. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let, yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> I will eviscerate you in fiction. Isn't that what uh, Jeffrey Chaucer said in A Knight's Tale? 
Uh, it is a nice sword to be able to have. Songwriting is too. There's lots of ways to tell people to to get lost. Um, but again, I, I, I ramble. I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I'm putting together some of the pieces of what it is that you're talking about. And, you know, it feels very reminiscent of the Sons of Anarchy in that you have these characters that are obvious outlaws and they're doing mm. things that are obviously outside the law. And there are compelling pieces of those characters that make you root for them, make mm -hmm. you root for them over police, over other motorcycle clubs, and you become a member of the club alongside Jax Teller. And That's you're it. seeing the world from the perspective of them, and they do these specific things that are very heroic for the for the watcher, they beat up guys that are annoying or or have harmed people and these right. sort of things. And when you were talking earlier, you were talking about your childhood growing up around people that had a different moral code, mm -hmm. but, but they're very understandable and clear moral code. Can you tell, talk about your childhood and where you experienced this kind of thing? I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, the East Bay, Fremont, California, which was just um, growing up. It was just a lot of suburban houses that were built in the 50s. And, and now we're into the mid 80s when we're all kind of coming up. It was uh, a mixture of families and older, a lot of older residents in the neighborhood, um, uh, families, divorced families. It was, you know, it was really... I was born in 73. So post post 70s, you know, the 80s was a real mixed bag of the kind of person you might meet in any town. And people were starting to have stories because the 70s and the 60s were, a, you know, obviously a tumultuous time. All this talk of love and peace. Yeah, maybe that was the goal, but that's not what we got. We got complications. We got hippie children born with hippie names like Jackson Jackson and you know, 20 year old mothers who are not married to drummers who they, you know, uh, it's, it's my, my story starts there. I'm, I'm a bastard child of a drummer and a, and a hippie uh, flower child. And I grew up not knowing my father at all. And, and my mother telling me quite, quite plainly, he's not going to be around and you're just going to have to, I don't want you to be bitter about it. I don't want you to hate him. Just process whatever feelings you have to, but I'm not going to talk bad about him because that that was not her thing. And um, she said, you know, you just he'll 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 show up when you're about 16 years old. He'll want to get to know you then. She was almost right to the day. I was 17, but it was I mean, she nailed it. And and we we got together. We drummed together. Uh, my best friend sat there with his jaw on the floor watching father and son who'd never met play with kits facing one another. And he's, I was his best friend and, and bandmate forever. So he knew every intricacy of me as a drummer. And he's just going, I can't, I can't even be in this room right now. You know, that's when I went, oh, there's something to this genetics thing. I'm very much like him. I'm, I'm far more like him than my mother, except the, I can't abandon my family. <laughs> so he's got that gene in him. And, and I, I, I am not, I am, I am the loyal. I'm just loyal. I like, if, if you are in, you are in, if you're out, you're out, but if you're in, you're in, you know, um, it's just that, that way with me. Um, it has to be, but, um, yeah, so I grew up you know, with my grandfather as my, my father figure and my mother, who was um, clinically depressed, bipolar, 
and a raging alcoholic and drug addict. So that didn't help. And I was a very sweet, soft boy. You know, I just wanted to listen to my Kiss records and collect comic books and, you know, uh, and, and geek out on Star Wars. I mean, that's all I cared about when I was little and all the, and I was an only child. So all, all those types of things provided an escape for me. Rock and roll, art, animation, all of those things were great escapes and fantasy worlds that I could build off of. Again, building the Avatar. We meet the young farm boy, Luke Skywalker. Everybody, I want to be Han Solo. I'm like, I am Luke. I'm the wide-eyed, what? I just wanted a wizard to give me a sword and point me in a direction. Um, I, I will show you, see if I can figure this out. If I point right there and do the magic reveal. That was the sword I got. I saw Eddie Van Halen playing, you know, that guitar and my young teenage brain or pre 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 teenage 11 year old 10 year old whatever i was when i first started hearing that music i i lost my mind and anything like it guitar you know drums i i i it just it just melted my brain and then i saw my first van halen concert on tv they, they broadcasted something when sammy hagar first joined the band live without a net uh they they, they played a truncated version on uh showtime and I literally just stood in front of the TV. It was you hear older musicians say the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, and the next day they had to had to get a guitar, had to form a band. You know, the the, the that was me with Van Halen. It, they gave me permission to be a musician. I went, I can never be that good. These guys are unbelievable, but I think I could jump around and have as much fun as they're having. And that life looks a hell of a lot better than no father, alcoholic, crazy mother alcoholic grandfather who's slowly smoking and drinking himself to death would eventually die of a heart attack, burn the house down, and my childhood house was gone. And I dealt with all of that at 17. I had already experienced the death of four or five close family members and friends by then. Um, just tremendous loss after tremendous loss. My my stepfather, as it were, um, came into my life when I was in the first grade. And his name was Crow, and he was a drug dealer. He was an outlaw. And he dealt to musicians a lot. So sometimes I would get taken along to a show. Sometimes I'll, we'd just go backstage while the band was on stage and leave. And I wouldn't know why. Hey, I want to see them. I'm trying to get over his shoulder and look at the blank blank band, you know, but then two years later, when lead singer of the blank blank band is in your kitchen eating your cereal and you're trying to get around him because you need to go to school and you're like, hey, blank blank, get, can I get my Fruit Loops? You know, then you realize, oh, it's not so cool, you know, that this side, you know, because because my old man figured he was a brilliant musician, brilliant brilliant singer had a voice and a style and a charisma he could have been a huge country rock singer but it was cheaper and and more lucrative to deal to bands than it was to be in bands and he figured it out in the 70s and built his little empire in the the little foothills of niles california where it's easy for a hippie to get lost and tucked into because that was the little hippie enclave of fremont california niles has settled right to it in the hills there, the, the Niles Canyon, and that's where the bikers ride, and that's where all the people who don't want to be found are. 
Um, so I knew a lot of those people, deadheads, people who were constantly changing their name every six months to two years because someone's looking for child support or tax money or you're on a no-fly list. Again, this is the, the 80s. You know, cocaine was everywhere. Why do we drive to that dentist in San Ramon? Why don't we get a dentist here? And then you start thinking about it and you go, oh, they're trading goods for services. So the guy that's drilling my teeth right now is probably gacked up out of his mind. But I guess we get free dental. You know, it's the little it's my life was not like any of my friends lives, but they also didn't get to have jam sessions at two in the morning on a school night where you got all these seasoned musicians going, hey, your, your kids got rhythm. What is this? Uh, his his real old man was a drummer. Well, yeah, look, he's just keeping perfect timing. Kid, pick this up. Play this. What's the what's who's Chuck Berry? Play this. Well, kid, what are you learning? Oh, I want to learn how to play. I remember uh, "Get It On" "Bang a Gong" by the Power Station had just come out. I want to learn that. And they're like Power Station. That's an old T Rex song. What? What are you talking? No, it's a brand new song on the radio right now. And I played it for them, and they went. Yeah, that's a T-Rex song from back then. And they pulled out a record and put it on. And I went, oh, I had no concept. You could do that. You could just take somebody else's song and just do it your way. It was like, oh, I like both versions of this. Is, but this is cool. But the original kind of makes this one sound weird. And this, this kind of makes this one sound weird. And, you know, I'm putting all that stuff together. The, the, again, the duality of things, the duality of people. Yes, they're gacked out of their brains at three in the morning, and I really have a math test tomorrow that I'm going to fail anyway, so why not play Chuck Berry, right? It, I had an experience like no one else that I knew growing up. I spent some time, like I said, in the suburbs, and then I would spend weekends out on this little farm that was tucked away from people a little bit. And so I had this almost rural, we had a lot of chickens, goats, geese, dogs, lots of dogs, 14 and 15 dogs at a time. It was There was a property and all that stuff. So I had this weird farm secret drug dealer life that I couldn't tell anybody, the family, not me. I was straight as an arrow. Again, I was a good kid, a sophomore. I just wanted security, safety, and a normal life. But that was not what was handed to me. So I figured well, when I grow up, I'll make a normal life. Well, that didn't happen either because I'm still a freak. What are you going to do? And when you've seen the other side of the curtain, you can't just go, morning, Sam, morning, Ralph. Hey, how about that Bears game? Like, none of that matters. It might be interesting, but no, there's there's a life or death battle out there. People die. People go to prison. People become other people. Um, and and I, I went headfirst into religion at a young age to, to circumvent going that way. But again, you just find duality in people. And, and that's okay sometimes. And sometimes it's it's a duality that you cannot accept. It's a duality that you do not accept. And you are the type of person that does not keep their mouth shut when they see said hypocrisy. Um, and so I was very popular until I was not. And then I would have to go on my way because if people don't want to change being hypocrites, there's nothing I can do about that. I just... I have no time for it. You just have to live honestly and find your own, like you said, code of ethics, what your code of ethics is. I mean, it's easy to go not kill and murder and beat people up. I guess if some people have to have constant reminders not to do that, please get them. Get those constant reminders wherever you can get them. I'm talking more about, yeah, maybe you were kind most of the day, but wasn't there one point where you got pretty short? 
and you let your inner a-hole out in your tone, yeah, okay, we'll do better than that tomorrow. All right, that's the minutia I'm talking about. Were you completely transparent today or did you tell somebody something that just wasn't true? You weren't open with them. You didn't, you, whatever, you know, I'm constantly searching for that purity of truth and purity of, of thought and soul and all of that. Again, it's not a woo-woo exercise. It's very practical. I love my wife with the intensity of the heat of the sun. So I want to be the best person I can be for her. And she's working on herself. It's tough, really tough. Being parents, tough. Being parents of adult children now, harder than when they were kids, infinitely. Didn't expect that. You know, life is always ready to come and give you a good swift kick and humble you in some way. How do you respond to those times is all I'm concerned with. That's it. Hey, I blew it. Yeah, you were stressed out. We good? Yeah, I'm sorry. Cool. Well, it's funny what you said, though. Yeah, we should write that in the book. Yeah, I already did. I already put it in. You, you know what I mean? But that's yeah. 30 years together. What would have taken maybe two days to resolve year four is a little different than year 30 shorthand. Because sometimes we just look at each other and go, huh? 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 huh. And that's like... That's it. And there were many things said within that series of grunts, you know. If you can, can you think of uh, like a couple of stories of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So then we'll, we'll get right back into, I want you to like talk about some of these characters and the things that you learned about morality and, and, and them as people. Some of the specific characters that I've based some of my guys on, there was a guy um, who's since passed on so I can talk about him. His name is Chuck. And Chuck, excuse me, was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, Chuck was a biker. And the, my, my character, Minus, who is the, the first character in the first book in the series that sets it all up. He's an exiled biker. He's been sent away to a different chapter uh, from the Portland chapter for, for reasons that you, you'll find out in that book. But he's come to return at the behest of the president and finds out some information as to why he's been brought back. And that character of Minus, the guy that is, there's a Southern kind of thing about him because he, he was sent to the South to, to, to cool off. Um, and he's slow and deliberate and nice and sweet and has this, even though he's big and he's built, he's got this sweet demeanor, but he's the last guy in the world you want to mess with, you know, um, put something in between him and who he loves and he'll, he'll take care of what he needs to take care of. And that was very much Chuck. I never had to see the tough side of Chuck. I heard about the tough side of Chuck and it was hard to, to believe that because he was always so sweet. And uh, he was my old man Crow's best friend. He was my mom's best friend. When my mom and Crow split up one of the 8,000 times that they did, uh, Chuck was in the picture for a little while. Um, I think my mom was maybe never happier than in the time that she was with him. But um, Chuck died of cancer from Agent Orange that they sprayed in Nam, and it was it was bad. It was real bad. And we saw this guy go from the most virile Viking blonde. You know, I mean, you would have put him in a sense of anarchy. You would have cast him at any age. I'm sure he would have been cool. Um, and uh, just to see him wither away to a little stick man was just really tough. Um, so the, I, I've, I've used elements of that 
you know, he's he's gone into several characters. Uh, there, there was a guy that he was Carl, he was Hank, he was whatever he was at any given time. Um, he was a deadhead. And at one point, the dead went to Amsterdam and did a tour. And a lot of deadheads went over there and didn't come back when the dead came back. Because, again, this is the 80s. And that was the only place where weed was even legal. You know, you couldn't even, you know, people were going to jail for a long time for little bags of weed. This was right in the, the time my old man was dealing right at the time of the war on drugs. This is just say no. This is, and, I, and again, I'm a kid that's, I'm not touching anything. You know, people have these, oh, in high school, I got wasted. I was and, you know, a little bit in, in high school, I experimented with pot, things like that. But not, I, it was just it was short lived. It was, you know what? I really don't want to go the, the 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 direction of the people around me. So I avoided all that stuff. But these guys were around me. And, and I think Carl went to Amsterdam. Hank came back or maybe it was the other way around because these guys owed money to, you know, the tax man or their ex-wives or whatever. I, you never knew. Or they were, you know, a bench warrant for a bag of weed or something. And and these are the things that most of my friends in junior high had no concept of. They're just thinking, am I going to get the transformer that I want for Christmas? And I'm thinking, was the man sniffing around our house last night? Or was my old man just paranoid on a three? Oh, yeah, he's been up for three days. It's cocaine psychosis. Yeah, yeah. Who should know cocaine psychosis when they're eight? And, and again, my mother was the sweetest, most genuine, bleeding heart, sweetie McSweeterson that you could ever hope for. But she had a lot of pain, a, a tremendous amount of pain. So I grew up also seeing a mother struggling who could not, who loved me, couldn't love me more, but could not take care of a child. So I took care of her from a very young age, learned to cook, learned to clean, learned to get myself to school, usually unsuccessfully. So I'd get detention. Here I am being punished for my parents' inability to get up and wake me up, take me to school. No, no, I would take multiple buses. I would ride bikes in the rain. I mean, this is just, my life was very independent, which was okay when you're growing up in the 80s because I liked girls a lot. So there were a lot of girlfriends and my parents not knowing where I was at night and maybe my girlfriend's parents were maybe out of town allegedly and and things of that nature so I had again very open and experiential childhood as a result of my parents alternative lifestyle you know I was placed into that and again that goes from your dentist they're not all scumbags. Not everybody in your house at three in the morning is a scumbag, quote. Some of them are dentists. Some of them are other occupations. Um, but the musicians were the fun ones, the crazy ones. The bikers were fun, but also you didn't want them to be your friend necessarily. You know, we grew up in the shadow of the Altamont incident with the Stones doing this free concert at the Altamont Speedway. And somebody had the brilliant idea of, of having the Hell's Angels do security. And they had also done security for uh, the Grateful Dead a lot. And as Jerry Garcia said, we were friends with the Grateful Dead, or we were friends with the Hell's Angels, and the Hell's Angels were not friendly. And that is, that's the truth of it. And so a guy's got beat up with pool sticks, a guy got stabbed and died, you know? So we knew bikers could be dangerous. You know, I was afraid of some of these guys too. 
at the cookouts that we would have. Who's that guy? Who's that person? Why do we have a Cadillac now? Oh, because somebody owes my old man money. Why do we have two VCRs when nobody I know even has one VCR? Why do we have a Corvette? Why do we not have a Corvette? <laughs> you know, all these things in, that my friends were not going through because nobody owed their old man money. They, they were just thinking about school, you know, and, and whatever else they were thinking about. And so I, I had to learn to be a chameleon because I, I couldn't out my old man. You know, some of my best friends knew what was up, but, you know, but my mom would come pick me up from school with roller skates and rainbow colors in her hair. She looked like Harley Quinn in 1982. She would roller skate to school to pick, and I'd like, oh, geez. And people would go, oh, your sister's cute. I'm like, shut up. That is my mother. She's just young, you know? And my old man looked like, uh, picture a combination of Sam Elliott, the deep voice, the beard, the mustache, like literally, that's what he sounded like and, and looked like. But Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa with, with Sam Elliott, and that was my old man. And he was extremely charismatic. And he was, um, he was the boss. People called him the boss. They called him crow. They called him the old man. They called him dog. They called him a lot of things. Um, and I, I respected him. I feared him. I hated him. I loved him. I hated him again. And you got to work all that stuff out in your books. You know, these guys, these bikers, they didn't come from good families. Some of them. Some of them came from great families where really bad things happen. You know, it's again, you never know who the wolves are until they're they're at your door or sometimes in your living room. So meeting a lot of these unsavory characters in, in my childhood helped fuel many of these characters and, and is helping me work out through some of that trauma that I experienced as a kid. Because then you got all the, the, the stuff at school on top of it. Am I cool? Am I not cool? Is anybody cool? Nobody's cool. What's going on? Going from, I'm not sitting at anybody's table to, so I guess I'll just start my own table, which was another thing that helped me later in life. There's no cool kids table. And if there is, I don't even want to sit at it. I'll just start my own table over here. That served me well in my life. Um, jettisoning other things. Again, that, that idea of failing. Okay, you failed in that social group. So what? Go start your own social group. Uh, that's okay. Not everything is for everybody and not every road is meant for every person. You just have to be okay with that. You have to make peace and not be envious of what other people have. You know, envy is a bad one. We see it a lot in our industry. I want to be at that level. I want what they have. I want to be careful. Different levels, different devils. You know, you may not be, you, you may not be able to contain or, or be able to accept the next level coming at you right now. Maybe you have to grow a little more before it comes. I know I wouldn't want to have faced this life 25 years ago. It would, no way. I, I'm, I'm glad to have hit it in my, you know, 40 on is when I feel like my life has begun, really begun. And I'm, and I'm very, very glad for that because I've, I've learned a lot more about myself and other people. So yeah, unsavory characters. Good, good for your characters in books. May take a little more time to chew on in real life. So you're working out this childhood through the things that you write. And I'm sure that there are things that you write that provide some level of ending a story that never got a proper address. 
um, maybe some scores that never really in your mind and in your heart got settled, but you can settle them through words. For sure. And sometimes I'm, I'm the perpetrator of that damage. Sometimes I'm correcting the things that I've done that I, that if I can do over I'll, conversations I would have differently. So it's not just about, oh, I can work out the people that, who've wronged me. Sometimes it's, I can work out when I've wronged myself, when I've wronged others. And, and it's nice to cut down that chatter, you know, that what I call that three o'clock in the morning, getting up for a pee kind of like, thing that hits you when your mind is still half asleep like some conversation you had 20 years ago and you're like why was i such a oh man i bet i sounded like a jerk why, oh that guy probably thinks about me every night and hates my guts like no no they're, they're not i've had so many things that i've built up in my mind and, and called people and gone, are we okay are we, what are you talking about oh it's just this thing i have, i have to ask for your forgiveness and they go i don't even remember yeah, and if I had heard you at the time, I, I would have understood what you meant. Or have you been carrying this around? Like, yeah, you know. So I'm trying to trying to release myself of as many of those stones, take those stones out of my pockets, and and know that yeah, if I can't have a conversation with that person, because um, I'm either not in community with them anymore, or they're not safe for me to be around anymore. You know, I have very little biological family, and the ones out there, I am anything but safe around and, and it's hard when you have so few people that you've ever even come up with but you can't even depend on them to be there it's it's you know again that learning that you're alone you're alone in this and and the best you can hope for is is a partner that understands you that you can be authentic around and that gets you warts and all and my bride she understands me. I don't hold back. I don't, we are bitterly honest to one another. It's an honesty that some people can't even stand being around because they don't, they don't get it. But to us, it's just, it's the way it's been since we uh, literally first date. Like, let's just, let's just go. Let's not do any games. Let's try an experiment. Let's just see what, what this dating could be if we just do it. And, and, and again, I was at a place in my life when I was looking for that type of thing. I want to find someone who can be a wife. That was a goal of mine. It wasn't just an afterthought of, oh, it'll happen someday. Was that I wasn't on the hunt. I was actually in the opposite. I was I hadn't dated anybody in a couple of years and was really just working on myself and just thought, when it comes, it'll come and I will know. And when my wife walked into my life, it was like a freight train hit me up. Freight train, lightning bolt, whatever you want to call it. Um, one of our friends said, uh, I, "I will, I will abstain from profanity." But he says that you two were intimate in the cosmos. You know, you knew each other well before now. And uh, I, you know, I don't know how to, you know, uh, I don't know if I believe that, but I love it. It's the best explanation I can hear because we did. We just came together and collided and. We just, brutal honesty was a big part of it. And in writing, it has to be. People can tell if it's fake. If it's, if it's based on something real, they're going to they're gonna somehow know. You don't have to describe things as much when it's real. You can always tell when somebody's telling you a story, you know, hey, then what happened? If it's pretty brief and to the point, that's a pretty reliable narrator. The more color they give the story, 
the more details they seem to remember, that's somebody who's told this story before. And so then it becomes rehearsed. And then you know where the lags are. So where to goose it up a little. Ding, 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 ding. You get to rewrite that story. But if you just saw it happen, it's like, oh man, this guy came from over there and he hit the guy with the blue shirt with a bottle and then he ran off. Like, that's the whole story. That's it. That's a true story. There's no resolution. There's no anything. So you can write that resolution if you're a writer, right? But most people just do it in their real life. They just make up these little stories and have no place to put them. They just held them at the water cooler. They were hurt. You know what I mean? It's, it's a subconscious thing. They don't know they're doing that, but everybody's a storyteller. You know, everybody tells a joke. There's some joke everybody can tell. There's some story everybody can write. There's a book. I believe that everybody can write. Should they? That's, that's, that's not a question. Should you? That, that goes to goals. I don't know. What goals do you have? But if you have no goals and you go into something with a purity, uh, you know, I'm just starting to really become interested in painting. And by just starting, I mean the last 25 years, I've been trying to get myself to paint. And because I have no preconceived notions of how it's going to go or what I'm going to do, it's, it's literally a blank canvas in my mind. And I like that. Because so many other things in my life I have to pay attention to. And, and there's a craft. If I'm producing a record with somebody, there's a craft that goes along with it. There's 35 years of being a musician of craft that goes into every recording session that I do, every songwriting session that I do, every project that I, I do. Same with books. Um, so the craft of the thing, that's what you have to work at. But the story of the thing, I believe everybody has a book in them. You know, I really do. Everybody's life is interesting somehow. Find a way to blow it up a little bit. Just exaggerate it. Make it somebody else. Don't make it, this is my life story. I was born in Iowa. Uh-uh. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus, as they say in songwriting. It's the same with a book. Hook him in. Make him somebody else, and he's got a way more interesting life than you do. And then you work your story, the stuff you want to get out. You work it out through them. Let them be your puppets because they can say things you can't. When we were talking before, you had talked about the role that psychedelics had played in your life and mm. it changed some things. And so can you talk a little bit about what, what role a psychedelic has played in your life? The only, I can only relay this there's there's debate of whether uh cannabis is a psychedelic you know look anything that, that gets you out of your head long enough to think about something else is a form of a trip so i, I can put it all under the category of tripping i did not touch alcohol till i was about 25 i mean i'd sipped it try you know you know when you're a kid that kind of thing um, but i saw it destroy too many lives and it was 25 years old uh, playing drums in that rock and Espanol band when I get off the stage dripping with sweat because we're just going, going, going. It's just high energy music and everybody's dancing and 500 people in a club. And I get off the, the stage and it's like, where's the water? And he points to it. You know, it's just full of Corona's. The bucket that would normally be ice water is just Corona. And I went, went in Rome and knocked that thing back and didn't turn into Mr. Hyde. So I went, okay, maybe I can, I can do this. Probably sweat all the alcohol out immediately in the next 
set. But that started actually a pursuit of casual drinking and enjoying alcohol and going, oh, tequila, I like that. I like sipping and, and trying different things and knowing what a buzz is and kind of going, okay, but I was not like the people around me that I needed to to drown in alcohol to 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 quell past uh, pain. I I had worked through a lot of my pain, a lot of most of it, and was actually back to being a very. I mean, I was feeding the carefree, lovable side of myself, but um, uh. When I was in, uh, excuse me, um, yeah, freshman year of high school, end of eighth grade, maybe it was either the end of eighth grade or fresh some sometime sometime in freshman year of high school. Excuse me. Um, one morning, went into my mom's room. She was staying at Crow's place for that weekend, and I was with my grandpa. Went into her room, uh, I believe, to scrounge up lunch money, which again not given to me. It was just catch as catch can. So I'm scrounging in there and she just had a bunch of big green bud who, you know, probably grown, I, I'm sure grown by one of the deadheads or one of the bikers, you know, they would just go up into the Niles Hills and grow. You could just do that back then, you know, it was pretty wide open. And, um, and so this was pretty, pretty potent stuff. And I, I didn't know any better. And I just thought, well, my friend, my friend at school has talked about weed and, and he's, he's tried it. I'm like, I'm just going to take some of this. I, I just don't know what got into me. Cause again, I was really a rule follower and kind of really cautious. I wasn't the kid to go off the 50 foot ramp. I do the first couple of iterations of the ramp off the bike, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And but then the, then the crazy guy would go and break his clavicle and I'd, I'd go, no, I don't want to do that. So, so it was pretty cautious, but it was just that little, one of those things. So I broke off a few buds and I remember I put them in my trapper keeper, you remember those and put it in my, my, my binder and went to school. And then we had all our classes together because neither of us filled out our school forms because neither of our parents were real checked in at that time. So they gave us every class together at the beginning of every every class we started dead center next to each other in the back. And then by the end of the school year, we were both here at the front separated as far as we could go. And we would still we're like, you've just given us more people to disrupt in our path of of tomfoolery. So we would just, you know, so he was the guy I went to and I said, look, look, look what I got. He's oh my God. Okay. I've got, I've got this little wood pipe. And so we're going to go under the, the, in the tunnels and the, the this, 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 there was this Creek path called the Creek. It's where you'd go if you're going to have a fight. Cause back then if, if you lift off to somebody, you got punched in the face and I was a mouthy kid. And sometimes I got punched in the face and sometimes I punched other kids in the face. And that's just the way it was back then. Um, nobody knows what it's like to be punched in the face now. So a lot of people, just say whatever they want to say, but there was a certain swift justice about being a, a wiseacre at the time. So we went down there, smoked it. It was the classic smoke all of it. I don't feel anything. Do you feel anything? I don't feel it. And then woo, the next six hours of your life are going to change the rest of your life to, to a certain extent. Cause I went bye-bye. It was potent weed and no tolerance and, and just out of my out of my treat scary quite honestly until i found the rhythm of the ride and went okay i'm not dying this is what's what i asked for this this is exactly the experience and then then that experience about every two three months i'd pinch a little from my mom or he'd get a little or whatever and 
And we're doing the classic role in the big Cheech and Chong mega joints, you know, writing Led Zeppelin, pricking our fingers and writing Led Zeppelin in blood and swearing oaths. I mean, you know, we we were just two two peas in a pod, being little hippie kids and just having a great time out in his shed, and uh, being being just stupid and uh, playing air guitar to to live Led Zeppelin records in his room and buying colored lights. I mean, we, we just, we, we should have been born in the sixties. We missed it. And we still loved all that music, Pink Floyd, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin. This was our, these were our heroes Our you know, and, and it was only like 10 years before us. And we felt like it was 50 years before us because nobody at school understood why we listened to that old music. And we we're going, cause everything you need to know is in this old music rush of course, would become the most important band probably in my life, you know, hands down, if you had to say, who's your favorite band. And But by then I'd stopped smoking weed. And and I, listening to music and smoking weed was something I never did because I, I the music was holy. I didn't want it sullied by this experience from something else. This was one thing and it was sacred in itself. And this was another thing. So I've always seen taking the trip, whatever one's trip might be, as a sacred and holy thing, and that I don't want to lose my privileges with, like alcohol. I, I, I've only been drunk to the point of not being able to control myself like one and a half times, and that scared me beyond just losing any of my inhibitions to that was not, I hated it. I hated it. And that was 20 years ago or whatever. Um, so going into religion, the pot went away. Spent my early adulthood chasing the spiritual high and getting it but mostly it was because i was the music guy right and the music guy gets high because he's playing music i didn't feel any different in some respects playing in the clubs at night and on the weekends as i did in the church on sunday mornings and so there's always that well is this that high or is this a me high you know what i'm saying but my motives were to connect people with a higher plane of consciousness through what I can do, which is make sound. That was my goal. Um, what anybody else's goal in that was, that's that's between them and their God. I know what my goal was. I've, I'm removed from that. I've removed myself from that culture and, and, and of any thoughts of faith. Um, but that doesn't make me bitter or angry or any of the ists. I just know that there are other truths to be found. So when... I had always told Piper, when pot becomes legal, I'm smoking it again. I had, I had, I had told her that she bought me uh, a tobacco pipe on the February 14th uh, as a Valentine's Day gift. And that was the day that I proposed to her, right? So she's like, I know you, you get cravings sometimes and maybe this will help. Like, it was really sweet of her because I was like, I just miss kind of packing a bowl, you know? And I was like, oh, this is great. And it became a pipe smoker for, for years, you know? But, you know, again, special occasions, bring it out. Don't, don't get addicted. Don't get too lost, right? But music you can get lost into. Art you can get lost into. Those are the places that are the holy places that nobody can beat out of you. The religious people in my life that tried to beat rock and roll out of me were never successful, never. It was too important to me. It was holy. It was a good thing. It was of God, as far as I'm concerned. Even if people are singing about the devil and, and being with chicks or whatever, it's like, that's not really the point, you know? Um, listen to those drums, you know what I mean? Um, 
Led Zeppelin lyrics are silly, but listen, listen to the drums, you know, John Bonham, that's my heartbeat right there. That, that 26 inch Ludwig kick drum, that's my heartbeat. So I have to have that kind of thing. Well, being up here in Washington state, we became legal. We were the first state with, along with Colorado, they all, they get all the credit, but we were with them as well. The first couple of weed shops popped up. And after a couple of months of like building up the courage, I went in and I bought legal marijuana. Uh, cannabis is here. And I was like, oh, where have you been the last 25 years of my life? Um, it wasn't the goofy, crazy stoned thing that I that I got from my, my youth. It, this was a mature high. This was a thinking clearly high. This is able to ask questions of myself that I was terrified to ask before. Getting to a plane where this, the conscious and the subconscious get gooey and you can step into that and start to look at the world in a, in a bifurcated way. Left door, right door. What if I went through this door? And what if I went through that door? Whereas before, my line of logic was always skewed towards the God door, right? So that constantly had had to have every line of thought that I have be somehow explainable, relevant, or connected to God as I understood it, right? If I took God out of that equation, what were my real thoughts about things? You know, and it was like, oh, those are different questions. Those are different questions entirely. And, um, they were, it was really more of, of going, you know, you were right when you were, you were in your room at 16, chasing the holiness, then that was as close as you were. And welcome back to that pursuit. It was like 25 years of raising a family and doing the right thing, eating my veggies, keeping my hair short, having the day job, all of it. It was like, you are released of that. You are Jack Davenport now. And Jack Davenport has much more agency of his own life than Jackson Jackson did. Um, and it, it helped unlock a lot of things um, that I'd been suppressing. Uh, rage, pure rage, you know, peace and love and weed. And it's like, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes it unlocks a rage because I'm being honest with my feelings. You're not okay with that. That infuriates you. And I go, yeah. It makes me honest. What some people call paranoia, maybe it's just that honest, you're, you're confronting honest feelings. You know, um, that's that was my experience. So I've never experienced psychedelics beyond that. I'm very interested in that path. I see it in my future. I've, I've been, been honest with my family in that as well, because they've seen what um, cannabis has done for my ADHD. This is me dialed down, believe it or not. Um, you know, they, 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 they understand it's, it's a way that I can regulate emotion and, and, um, just get out of my own way is the best way I can put it, but it's not always peace and love. It's just another way of getting to the honest root of things. Um, and, and there's an old saying, uh, right, right drunk edit sober. <laughs> so sometimes it's nice to have a little toke before I'm writing, you know, uh, because there'll be maybe a, a level of honesty will come out. Um, but sometimes you think like, yeah, I'm a genius. And you come back the next day and you're like, why did I write that? That's a whole three paragraphs that can get tossed away.
Well, it sounds a bit like, you know, you had mentioned having ADHD that, mm. you know, I, I know a lot of people with ADHD, like myself, who spent an awful long time working really hard to fit in to a corporate environment, which is very structured, very square, very everything is prepared for you. And it, it it's exceedingly rigid. And the person who has ADHD does not think in a rigid way at all. And as a matter of fact, they you know tend to be faster thinkers, generally more outside of the box thinkers, and tend to get in trouble more in corporate environments because of that. And so it it, it sounds a little bit like you know when it when when this plant based medication was introduced back into your life as an adult as as a man. <laughs> Which is all of a sudden all you, the difference. Yeah, it, this helped you, and it, it's it sounds a lot like that's that's really the key right there. Yes, yes, that's it. And again, my wife and I, brutally honest, she she had she was raised evangelical Christian. She was brought up in the church. It was d- as deep into her as it was, as much as it was a refuge for me away from from the chaos of my childhood into what I thought would be more stable families, more stable environments, you know, and you realize that's not true. Adults have problems everywhere you go and there's divorces and craziness and drug abuse and all sorts of things everywhere you go. It's everywhere you go. And it's the same, about the same percentages of society everywhere you go. There's, from what I understand, there's about eight to 12% of people who cause all the problems for the rest of society, whether it's through sociopathy or whatever. And, and I go, yeah, that's about, that's about right. You know, I can think of church ratios and I can think of music ratios of, of things of that nature, but yeah, entering back into that, that, that headspace, like you said, of plant-based medication. And that's the way I think of it. It sent my wife for a little bit of a spin just because of her, her puritanical upbringing was like, my husband's on drugs. Like, am I okay that my husband's on drugs? Am I okay that he's bursting into the room, his mind exploding with, my God, do you know? You know, because I'm I'm a science junkie and I had to put a lot of that pursuit of science away to square with the God that was being given to me. Now, I was always a person going, this cannot be the creation of a of an intelligent being over a matter of six days two of which were in the dark, I guess, or the first one in the dark. And then he had to rest. The God that never wearies had to rest on the seventh day of mm. making stuff. I, you know, I was all just like taking the Bible as a, as a, and I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not anti anything. These, these, these are the questions and answers that I came up with of myself. Um, for a God of intelligent design for so many things to be so catastrophically wrong from the get-go is a bad plan. If, if there is an Adam and Eve, and you put something to tempt them in the garden, and then they're tempted by it, and then you curse all of mankind from that because of them. Like, why don't you just do the first pancake thing, throw them out and make two new people? Or better yet, don't put the loaded gun where the toddler is. Or better yet, don't give them free will. Do we need that? The angels didn't have free will. We know that because a third of them fell away with Lucifer. So they obviously didn't like the boss man, which makes me go before you even made the earth, a third of your workforce didn't approve of you as God. That's a management problem. But no, our God has a perfect plan. So he makes two people, which all humanity have to be inbred from. 
Then he says they're all too wicked. So he floods the earth, sure, with a big boat with all the animals in it, sure. Floods the whole earth, no geological record of that. Wipes out everybody again, and then starts with another family, which have to be inbred. I'm like, and the animals, by the way. And so uh, there, just from the Old Testament, like these are stories written by people who lived in caves to ex- to understand and explain what is around them. These are primitive teachings by primitive people. If the message of God and his Messiah, pick one, is so important, how come they all came when nobody had writing or education? How come they don't come now when we have multi, like all of the answers, right? That just never made sense that nobody could ever I had more questions after 25 years in evangelical Christianity than I had answers. And I had a problem with that because nobody else around me had any more answers than I did. It would just be, well, that's God. Well, what's any different than saying, well, the earth is, the the universe is 14 billion years old. It's no different. It's the same thing of going, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. It's weird. Why a big bang? I don't know. Now we think multiple big bangs? Yeah, new information. Well, you were all wrong. See, you were wrong. No, 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 just new information. So my mind's not changed. I've been given new information, so I've changed my mind. What do you do when you get new information, I ask of people? Do you just rigidly go, no, that's it. I'm dug in. This is how the earth was made, and it's only 4,000 years old. And you go, come on, you're an intelligent person. You really want to believe that? Just because it's somebody else's narrative. Hey, if you believe it, fine. Doesn't make any difference to me. The earth is how old it is. But it's it's joining a team. And I don't like teams. I don't like labels. I don't like that we're putting labels back on everything again. I don't like, I, I want truth. That's it. What and, and then you can handle life on a it is what it is sort of basis. And I try to be very flexible and be a feather in the wind and say, it is what it is. This person is angry with you. Yes, I understand. And I understand why from their perspective, they're angry at me. It is what it is. I can't go, nah, we're, we're good. Mm-mm. But I can't always fix it either. So then I have to sit in the uncomfortable space of, oh, that person's upset with me. Okay. I have to sit in it. Drives me crazy, but I will not paint over it. And I won't pan over it with good things either. Hey, this is a good moment, dummy. Stop. Breathe it in. Put it in the photo bank. Go back to this. Don't just remember bad things. You got to, you know, it, the, the daily practice of that. And, and I think from what I understand of psychedelics, it helps some people connect lines, the connective tissue that, that again, that I'm always looking for. That's, that's a creative buzz of creating art is, is a stab at the connective tissue so if you can do it up in your own mind with the help of a plant that's been growing in the ground for, for well before you were on this planet, great. People have no problem going to alcohol and tobacco, which kills you, like dead, just kills you. No good for that. But other stuff is out there that, that can help and then, that I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in exploring that space for sure. So what's in the future for you? That's always the question, isn't it? We have several, we shifted gears last year. The pandemic was a very busy time for us. Obviously, you know, we were, we were writing a lot. Um, 
we weren't doing any signings. So we, we, we got really busy last year. We took our foot off the gas a little bit. Piper had to get surgery on her foot. So right now we're after three months of dealing with that, which was tough because, you know, when your old lady's got a broke foot, you got a broke foot. Uh, and so that, that's been, that's been fun. And, uh, but so both of us are looking forward to, to getting her on the road to healing. And that's what this, this whole year has kind of been about that. Um, we went back to New Zealand for the first time in 20 years and had an amazing time. That's where she's from. And there was a lot of hurt and pain wrapped up in that place with her. And we went and boy, we, we exercised that and we exercised those demons right out. And it was amazing and transformative and just a beautiful experience for her. And so that made us go, we need to reframe some other things in our life as well. And it's, that's a painful and interesting and very necessary part of the process. So there's been that on the personal growth side of things this year. Like I said, we celebrate 30 years of being married, uh, 31 years of being together. And so we're, we're doing a book signing in Scotland, which was a bucket list thing of Piper's when she first started writing. She said, I want to do a bucket list or I want to do a signing in Scotland. That's, that's my dream thing. So we're doing that. And for our 30th, we're tacking on a British Isles cruise. So we're just going to take a couple of months, go get lost in Europe and just be together. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Just an amazing time. And we've got uh, a signing in Denver uh, this year as well. Uh, the, the first part of March, I think. Sorry, I don't always know. Um, and then in, in uh, 2025, this is the crazy thing. One of our first big signings that Piper ever did before I even started writing was a signing at sea um, called Book Splash, where authors and readers are stuck on a boat together for a week and hilarity ensues. And so we, we ended up doing four of those with them, the last four, and we're, we're sort of picking up where they left off um, doing our first, see that, Books and Booze Cruise, which I'd worked into one of my books already as a fictionalized version of Book Splash. So I said, well, let's just do it for real. Um, and our favorite place that we went on those cruises was Alaska. So we're doing Seattle to Alaska in 2025, uh, September 7th through the 14th. So if that's something that interests anybody out there to be on a boat with 50 plus romance authors and two, 300 readers, uh, taking the high seas. I mean, that's that's our that's our maximum that we're going to allow. It's already selling out. Um, our our author maximum has been hit, and there's a waiting list of 200 other authors. So we're we're gearing up for that. It's a lot of work. We want it to be really really special. So that's that's going to be a great event and a great signing. And again, just look on Facebook for books and booze cruise, or you can go to Jack Davenport or Piper Davenport's. Uh, pages on on Facebook, but that's taking up. Piper's doing a lot of administrative stuff while she's off her foot, um, getting everybody you know together and the tickets booked and all that stuff. So it's it's a lot. So the, so the next two years are going to be a less traveling than we've been doing because we've been doing five or six signings a year across the country, and it's just too much. It it it, it makes writing. It's we, we need to write more. Um, so writing more, that's what's, that's what's in the future. Um, like I said, I'm in book number six of the, the uh, Burning Saints series. We also have a new paranormal romance series that we're writing together, which is a spinoff of one of her series. So we're doing that together. Um, and we've got a brand 
brand brand new series starting called the Evangeline Monroe series, which is going to be more of a gritty murder crime mystery thing. Uh, most of our stuff now, um, you know, the, the the fights are dirty, the sex is dirty. Uh, it's 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 dark to, only to a certain point, but there's a lot of humor to sort of go in there. This one we're just going dark. We're just we just feel like going going dark for one. Um, so that's going to be really fun. So more books. Less travel, but bigger travel um, and more books and recording when I can. I still produce, you know, a couple acts a year. Um, I do stuff for film and television. I did some music for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've done stuff for commercials, Symantec, you know, just it's weird when it's one o'clock in the morning, you're dozing off and some pool supply company is like, what is that song? Oh, that's something I wrote. You know, it's it's odd. So that's another weird thing that I do. It's just, I like being busy. I like being creative. Uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm organizing the garage incessantly to, <laughs> or mowing the lawn incessantly. So a lot of lawn mowing and garage cleaning in my future as well. Well, many, many years ago, when we worked at Guitar Center together, uh, you were my manager. And yes, every day was fun. It was a great environment to just be young and be around music and I agree. the absurdity of things. And uh, it was every hour of every day that somebody would come in without a dollar to their name and they needed demo sticks because they were going to go into the room and beat up a drum kit that they couldn't afford. And so... <laughs> You're there tasked with screaming over this racket in the other room or right there on the showroom floor. Yep. And it was an everyday absurdity. And, and it was always fun to do it with you because we always kept a sense of humor about it. And it was fun when you could do that. And I remember the only time I ever like snapped at a client who was thrashing this beautiful DW kit that was on the floor. I remember I just held, yelled, hey, Ringo, what did that drum kit ever do to you? He just kind of looked at me and like, the guy I'm, you know, helping snickering, but I'm like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't work here anymore. I actually, uh, Piper made me quit that job after, because was Eric was still there. Eric hired you, right? Eric, yeah. So Eric hired you and Tacky, and another guy named Dave, and then Eric went down to Covina, and they asked me, do you want the manager position? And I said, no, just give me manager rights, because I don't want to have to run downstairs or call a manager. Just give me manager rights. I'll do manager shift. I, I'll, I'll, I'll run the shop, but I don't want to go to sales meetings. I don't want to be a manager. It just wasn't worth it to me. And, and I knew that sales guys made more money, because you can, you can hustle. You're not you're not dealing with the team. And I, I, I needed to make money. I had a wife soon to have a kid very soon. So I wasn't fooling around. And so, yeah, with you guys, it was like, once I was the quote unquote manager, we got number one drum shop twice in a row. I remember nationally of all 55 stores at the time. And I was proud as hell of that. And you mentioned Sid earlier, Sid came in, he was manager for about a week and those stats came out and they said, congratulations to, to Sid and team. For, and he was, he shut that down immediately. He said, I wasn't here. This had nothing to do with me. This was Jackson and those guys. And I was like, look at this guy. 
I couldn't believe it because it was cutthroat at Guitar Center. You, you, you were like, hey, cut me in on that deal, man. I got cut out of a of a vintage mandolin deal by that prick who worked in the, who ran the, the drum shop. I won't even speak his name, but um, and I never forgave him. But um, that was really cool. So about, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Well, geez, this was now I have to be honest. This was like 10 years ago. Well, I, we went to Guitar Center San Jose. We were in the neighborhood, hadn't been there in years. It's actually moved across the street and down by where the car dealerships are. Um, and I, and I, and I knew Sid was there for some reason. He was still there. And when, when I worked, I looked, you know, I had short hair like you and you know, usually a little goatee as, as was the time, but I didn't have a full beard and long hair back then. And I go, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to go mess with Sid. I'm going to like start, I'm going to come in there because there's no way he's recognizing me. Like I'm going to go in, I'm going to go up to the drum shop and I'm just going to mess with him and see how long I can drop hints until he realizes it's me. And Piper's like, oh, this is great. This is great. And I got my two kids with me and we go in there. We literally, we walk in, he's down in the middle of the floor, 10 paces from the doorway. I walk in and he goes, hey, Jackson, what? What are you doing here? Like you, there's how, how there was a lot of this and this, but yeah, and 20 years, whatever. And he and he was still there, still awesome. He goes, Man, he goes, You you essentially trained me and you told me what this job could be. And and I took that to heart. And I've been here 20 years now, and I'm about to retire. I I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, that's cool. And, and, and Eric, you know, I still get to talk to him and in contact with him. I'm really glad I worked there as a young man who could hack the hours. But when I when I was leaving for work one day and I was trying to unlock the inside of the door to get out, trying to stick my key in because too many open closes, you know, she was like, you're quitting. You're a zombie. You're going to get yourself killed and the money's not good enough. So that was right after that, that I entered the tech space and started, you know, working with computers. It was you know, pre Y2K. So, you know, the IT guys were, were in high demand and we had fat expense accounts and it was great. It was like being a tech gladiator back in the day. And uh, it was really fun to do that during the day. And because and, most of those people are musicians by night, it's weird. The tech guys are always the artsy people. So you end up meeting a lot of really creative people when, when you get into the tech field as well. So I was, I was really happy to do that for, for 25 years after but you know the book thing, and it just took over. Can't can't work in the corporate world anymore. There's no space for me, and I don't know that I could do it again. You know, I can probably work at Guitar Center before I could work in a cubicle. You know what I mean? Because like you said, it was always every day was something different. Every day was some new story. Every day was Jimmy Sled coming up the the, the stairs and shouting his name, and Jimmy Sled taught me a good lesson in you know like just asking for the sale when are you gonna buy that kit jimmy he would come and play it beautiful dw kit oh he'd play it it was weird it was big he loved it and i said that's your kit man it's jimmy sled's kit no one else is gonna buy it and no one else did the second to the last day on the job so when are you gonna buy that drum kit jimmy sled i'm leaving soon he said today and he pulled out a wad of cash big enough to choke a mule and he slapped it down and I helped him down to his car with it that day. And it was like, I will never forget Jimmy yes. Sled. Yeah, know people's names, remember their names. And he shamed me into that because I forgot his name one day. 
And then I said, I will do better. And I did. And he bought a $4,500 drum kit from me, you know, that helped. But yeah, fun days. And that's when I knew you was Spike. And I knew you was a drum corps guy, which means you're disciplined, way more disciplined than I. I never learned to read. I can't do choreography. I'm, I'm still very much a feel, you know, play, I'm entirely play by ear, self-taught drummer, you know, trying to learn rough songs by ear. You know, it's, it takes you longer, but you get there sometimes on good days. <laughs> Well, I would. I want to thank you for being on the Mindful Mutiny podcast and sharing Absolutely. your life and your story and your vibrance. And what I really love about you is your total commitment. Your total commitment to the things that you are doing. Your your kindness. Your 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 grace around <clears throat> others and your willingness to see people for who they really are. Uh, from the good, the bad, the indifferent. And you've always had a, a wonderful gift for doing that and treating everybody with a just a sense of of dignity. So mm -hmm. for everybody uh, to uh, there's there's links in the description of this podcast to Jack Davenport and the work that he is doing, the books that he is writing. And please go check those things out. I'm going to read every single one of them, Jack. I'm really excited. So I hope they don't make you blush too much. <laughs> I think I'll be all right. All right. <laughs> we do. In addition to, to, to the, the romance books, we actually have two children's books that um, our youngest son illustrated. The first one's called Kissing the Biker's Boo-Boo because they're based on the kids of the bikers, right? And this one's called Training the Biker's Puppy. And uh, Piper and I write them, and then he illustrates them, just does an amazing job. He's got, he's just amazing. So he's going to be doing his first book signing here coming up. He'll have three books out by then. Um, so yeah, so if you're not into romance, you know, I know it was just Christmas, but uh, we, 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 we do a little of everything around here. Uh, I love it. Well, uh, thank you again. Be sure to My like pleasure. and subscribe and uh, get involved, make a comment, do a review. And if you're going to do nothing else, go be something great. <laughs>